0: Welcome back to another episode of the SEM podcast. Jack Bryce and Zach Hewlett, back again tonight. We're joined by Chris Martin. How are you doing, Chris? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing well. Where we're are you? Be- we're calling better from?
1: hanging out with you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, was your question, there, Jack? Where are you calling from tonight? Uh, I'm calling from Idle Falls, Idaho.
0: Nice. Great. All right. Well, the format is we talk about pre-mission, getting your call, and then we skip over to just hear about what you've been up to since you've been home. And then we'll go back and reminisce. So if you want to start us out with how you ended up in Scotland.
2: Perfect. Well, uh, so I kind of went on my mission a little bit late in life. I was 23 years old when I went on my mission. And so I already had a girlfriend. I was ready to get married, you know, on a mission was kind of furthest from my mind. Um, uh, when I wanted to get married to my girlfriend, now my wife, I'm a lucky two percenter. So, um, what happened is, is that she says, I have a list of requirements, right? And one of them is, you know, you got to be a worthy priesthood holder. Uh, you need to be able to serve a mission and, and, uh, the leadership skills you're getting there are invaluable. And then, you know, there'll be a, a blessing for your family. I said, well, okay, I, I I could do that, but I'm, I'm I'm 23, you know, I, I mean, and so, uh, we kind of him hawed and she says well i'm gonna give you about a month to think about it and so we kind of had a mutual breakup as she tells it so we broke up and in about that month she travels off to europe uh with the rick's college uh, humanities tour and she travels all over Europe for a month and i'm left in in uh you know little the Idaho falls idaho uh, to think about what i'm going to do with with this information she told me and, and if i want to be with her or you know the case may be and and as every good story starts out when you're in doubt you know you pray right so i'm like okay well i'll pray and uh we'll see what we kind of come up with and i remember very distinctly you know being in my single college you know apartment uh, i was living in rexburg idaho at the time and i wasn't going to be idaho i was up there just to chase her and so i remember being there and and i just you know said hey you know very simple prayer uh should i go or not you know and and a little naively you know i was waiting for that distinct answer right and i'm like well uh, i didn't get anything i didn't get anything and and, and i kind of got frustrated and I, I didn't i didn't receive that answer i wanted to receive yes or no and in, in absolute clarity and i remember going to bed that night and uh you know frustrated thinking, well maybe you know something will take place well inevitably something did take place um a couple weeks later um my future father-in-law pulled me aside and said hey I think it's really important that you should know a couple of things. And he pulled me aside and he sat down with his dad and my future father. also my future grandfather and father-in-law, we sat down and he, guys, and he was like, Hey, look, your kid, you know, you're 23, but you don't know anything, you know? And so he laid out the rules of how his mission helped him. And then I turned around and listened to his father outline his one of five missions that he went and served um, uh, both as, as a young man and as, uh, uh, an older uh, married individual, right? And he goes, you know, it will change you forever. You know, and, and, and everything you're going to learn is what you're going to learn uh, within those two years is going to set you up, right? So, okay, okay. And in that moment, uh, you know, you get that clarity, and you're like, okay, I can do this. You know, uh, I was raised by a single mother. Um, I'd been moved out of the house since I was 17. Um, I saved up all this money wanting to invest it in something like a house or a car or a wife, right? They uh, take a lot of money. So I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be, but until I got that answer, you know, uh, I was able to go through and figure out, yes, I'm going to invest it in a mission. So I went and informed uh, my boss, Hey, I'm going to send you my paperwork. Um, and we'll get ready to go. I worked with my Bishop and uh, got everything ready to go. And it kind of everything fell in line, right? When, when you, when you kind of, look at the the blessings in your wife and you realize okay there are some advantages to growing up in a little town outside of idaho falls called yukon and that little town you get to know everybody in that little unit that kind of builds you up right and as and as a uh, uh a child of a single parent uh um it was really advantageous for me to be involved involved in boy scouts and be involved involved in uh Uh, young men activities, you know, and in the priesthood activities to give me that male role model. And so as I as I got those male role role models, we ended up going through and each one of them became the bishop or stake president at a key moment in my life, right? So uh, one bishop baptized me and then my best friend's dad ends up being the bishop, you know, and then um, my other best friend's dad ends up being the bishop and then inevitably that first one that baptized me became the stake president. Okay. So everything kind of fell in line. So I'm now talking to my best friend's dad, who's now the bishop. I'm now talking to my other best friend's dad who, uh, who baptized me, you know, and he's now the stake president. And he's like, Hey, well, let's, let's work through it. So six months later, I was all ready to go got everything done, sent off my mission papers and I think it was like the fastest turnaround. I think I got it back in like, I want to say something like three weeks. And it was just, I, I just remember distinctly mailing it off and then kind of forgetting about it a little bit with a little bit of anticipation because knowing it just like Christmas day, you know, you get excited, right? And he's like, okay, if, if I don't think about it, I'm going to go through and get to it happen faster, right? So I kind of put it on my mind and then three weeks, bam, I got it. And so um, I happened to be at work um, and my mom, uh, being very diligent in checking the mail, she goes through and says, hey, I'm going to, you know, bring you something. Let's go out to lunch. And I'm like, okay not even anticipating that she'd be bringing my mission call to me. And we had this really great tender moment. Um, my mom, like I said, uh, being a single mother, raised me and my brother, uh, um, of which I'm the eldest. And, you know, I'm the first first one in my family in like six generations to go on a mission. So wow. to sit down for my mom to to say, hey, I've been a single mother. I've, I've, I've raised you. I've loved you. I've taken care of you. And then to sit down and say, okay, now it's time you know, for you to kind of grow up a little bit and serve this mission, you know, she surprised me as we're eating and, you know, finish up lunch and she pulls it out and says, okay, before you open it, where do you want to go? And I have absolutely loved history my whole life. I mean, I've studied history, I, I've researched history, I, you know, I, I listened to podcasts about history, even now as my adult wife, you know, and I read as many books as I possibly could when I was younger, right, uh, about history and my true passion was british history now in just medieval british history so i'm getting very very specific right so i'm getting to the point i'm like okay i'm going to britain she's like okay all right and she hadn't opened it had anything i just called out of the blue and lo and behold the best mission in the world i get called to scotland you know oh wow that's yeah, fantastic and, yeah and it was just just outstanding you know um i have scottish history uh, in my family um i wasn't advocate of the genealogy then, but I am now, and uh, um, what a great benefit, you know? So I get to go to the scallops, perfect. Well, that happened to be, um, I get my mission call in August of 2001, and I I have to wait three months. Well, during that three month time, I'm waiting, you know, we have, I got it about the end of August, and then August, you know, September, october and then november hits and november hits and uh you know uh, 9-11 comes by and the whole you know united states is just shipped right by the al-qaeda attack on the trade towers in new york and i'm thinking oh crap you know maybe i won't be able to go on a mission i remember having that palpable fear that somehow they're going to send me to utah you know what I mean? I mean, not saying it against anybody that's served in Utah, but you know what I mean? Like I'm in Idaho. I don't want to go to Utah. You know, that's, that's too close, you know? So I have this palpable fear like, I'm going to, I mean, I was so close to touch that dream of being able to go to, um, to, to Europe and to go to Scotland and, and to feel that uh, reality kind of come true. And, uh, 9-11 and all the panic takes place. And then I leave, you know, in October and, I remember getting on the plane, and this is the first time in United States history that we've changed our whole outline on how flights and the airport functions, you know. Yeah, we had a security check, but it wasn't big. I mean, I remember flying to Phoenix as a kid, where I where I grew up, uh, to go through and literally you would get on the plane and everybody could sit there in the terminal waiting for you, and the next thing you know, okay, a plane's here, okay. See bye, you know? Yeah. And then also going from that to complete isolation. I remember walking up the TSA gate I have all of my gear that I'm going to pack with me for two years, you know, all this luggage. And uh, I go in and I'm like, okay, you know, lay my luggage out there and they're like, oh, hey, you've been randomly flagged, by the way, for a uh, TSA search. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> you know, so they go through all of my stuff and they look at me, with this puzzle look like, where are you going? You know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to Scotland. And like, oh, okay. Well, uh, how long have you be gone for? I'm, well, I'm leaving the country for two years. Why would you ever do that? You know, what are you doing over there? Are you working? I'm like, uh, yeah, not really for myself, but for the Lord. And they're like, oh, well, good luck with that. You know, it's cold there right now. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know. So they search for my stuff, and we get on the plane, and we we're about ready to leave Idle Falls Airport, and like the worst fog storm kind of rolls in. I mean, not as bad as Scotland, but bad for you know southeast idaho right and i said hey your flight has been canceled to salt lake city you're gonna have to fly to boise idaho which is on the other side of the state heading away from salt lake to to get there you have to get a connecting flight and then go over to uh, salt lake to catch your original flight if you have enough time so i'm like okay great you know wonderful so i'm sitting there loaded on the plane and thinking i'm the only missionary on here i don't know if you guys felt the same way but when you put on that missionary tag you're expecting people to ask me questions you know what are you wearing the tag for uh, what do you stand for you know what are Mormons all that stuff and I remember sitting there in this slight panic 23 years old I didn't think I was adequate yet you know that I could share that that testimony right at the get-go without any missionary training right and to my to my uh, you know um, a little bit of uh, uh, I don't know to, to, to my relief, Ah, uh, sister missionary jumps on, and she's going to an absolutely different mission, but she has to do connecting flight to Salt Lake. So she jumps on, and we sit next to each other because we're like, well, we're missionaries now. Let's sit next to each other. But you're a girl, but it, it's okay. You know, we'll, we'll sit here and we'll we'll take this flight, right? Because you already get that missionary awkwardness kind of building up in you. And so <laughs> we, as we, <laughs> as we take off and fly to Boise, and then from Boise we catch a flight, miss our flight in Salt Lake, um, fly to Atlanta. Um, miss our flight in Atlanta, where there's another 30 missionaries waiting for us, right? Wow. And so they're all waiting, and they're all waiting, and they're all waiting, and we finally arrive, and then four and a half hours later, we leave from Atlanta to fly to Manchester, England. And I've I've flown back and forth to Phoenix quite a bit, and I thought, you know what? This is not going to be bad at all. It's going to be a short flight, you know? Well, 14 hours later, you know, you you arrive in Manchester, and, and you're just knackered, right? You're just tired. And they pick you up in that bus and they pack you in there like sardines and then drive you off to Preston, you know. And it was just a, a roller coaster experience through uh, the MTC in Preston. It was fantastic. It's awesome. awesome. So
0: let's let's skip over now. When you got home, tell us what you've been up to
2: the last 20 years almost. Perfect. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm lucky, uh, one of those lucky two percenters. Uh, I got home and my then girlfriend, now wife, um, waited for me. Uh, so we wrote constantly on the mission. Uh, President Wilkinson, I think he had a soft spot because I don't know if you gentlemen know, but President Wilkinson, uh, Randy Wilkinson, uh, was a lucky 2% or 2 too. Uh, Sister Wilkinson waited for him. Wow. And so so he kind of looked at my situation. Um, my mom was less active at the time, and she didn't write me a lot of my mission. So when I got home, my wife and I wrote all the time. I mean, she probably sent eight letters to my two. You know what I mean? So it was a it was a poor ratio on my part to kind of, you know, and keep her interested, you know, but, uh, but she was, she's pretty, pretty diligent and she waited and um, finished college and all that time. And the moment I got home, um, we literally got married in six weeks. So she Whoa. was close to getting ready to be married. She didn't care at that point if I said yes or no. She just needed to groom, right? So she had everything ready. And so, you know, I'm glad she said yes, you know, but uh, we get married and we get married um, December 30th. And so to get married December 30th, my wife's birthday is the 28th. Our anniversary is the 30th and then New Year's and then my birthday on the 21st of January. So we have Christmas through my birthday and we, we had two weeks during Christmas break for my wife to finish up her college at the time. Um, and her last last uh, semester there at, uh, at Rick's College and then transferred over to BYU-Idaho. And uh, we got married during that Christmas break. And we had enough time to run down to Salt Lake for a quick honeymoon and come back. Um, fast forward beyond that, uh, we literally, um, we have four kids, fantastic kids. Uh, my oldest is uh, 16 years old, his name is Seth. Then I have a beautiful uh, daughter. She's 14, her name's Eliza. And then I have two younger boys. Um, uh, Liam is twelve, and Riker is my youngest, and he's ten. So if you did some quick math, as every two years we we had a, a a new addition to the family. So I usually introduce them as I have three heathens and a princess. So I mean, you know, it's 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 it is complete maelstrom of, <laughs> of Martins running around the house. Um, I worked. Uh, for uh, a little while both before my mission and after my mission at a local grocery store called Brolim's. Um If you ever spent any time in, in Idaho at all, especially Southeast Idaho, Brolums is like Albertsons. You know, they kind of have a little store just about everywhere. Um, and then after working there for uh, two years after my mission, um, I fell into a true passion. I was going to BYU, Idaho for a history and poli-sci degree. Um, I was... Working a full-time job at at Brolams, I was working uh, a full-time career in college. You know, trying to get that ready to go, and then I was working part-time as police. And I ended up getting the best job in the world as a as a police officer in my wife's hometown, which is Rigby, Idaho. Uh, I worked as a police officer for 12 years. Um, I uh, retired at the the uh, the rank of sergeant detective. Um, and I and during that time, I did everything. I mean. Um, I worked homicides, suicides, I worked narcotics. Um, I'll send you a couple of pictures of me in a, a gnarly goatee and uh, some unkempt hair working narcotics. And it was just an absolute blast. Um, and then when I got promoted to sergeant, uh, I went through and I participated in the extreme physical fitness competition in 2017 in uh, Laguna Beach, California. Um, and just a little bit further south than that is Dana Point, California. And just absolutely beautiful. Now being raised between Phoenix, Arizona and, and uh, Yukon, Idaho, both deserts, you know, uh, I've never swam in the ocean. The first time I saw the ocean was when I went to Scotland. So, and that never really wasn't the ocean, right? It was, it was, you know, it was the Irish Sea, it was the North Sea and it was the English Channel, right? Uh, but it wasn't yeah. really the ocean. So I get out the Pacific Ocean and part of this competition, uh, like I said, is it, it, it's an extreme 38 hour physical fitness competition where you don't sleep yeah. and you you go through and if you have to eat you know you're doing push-ups to eat you know and you kind of go down take a bite come back up and chew the the up position as you rest you know and then during that time uh, I ended up swimming in the ocean for the first time uh, there's a, a section of it of which we did a lot of calisthenics and cardio workouts and um, swimming in the ocean and one of them was a, a thousand meter open ocean swim it took place at three o'clock in the morning and he had a little rescue vest on and you, I mean, they took you out in this little dinghy, you know, and there's, a, there's 50 of us. So they had a couple a couple uh, dinghies out there at the same time and you put on a rescue vest, uh, you'd pull the cord and it would inflate, you know, uh, if you were feeling you're, you're panicked or had a problem. And then you had a chem light on the back and that chem light was for them to track you from the boat as you swam towards the lights at three o'clock in the morning towards the shore, you know. I was doing really good, you know, I clean breath stroke, you know, getting good, solid paddles in, you know, get a set of good pace. That's a thousand meters. It's a long ways to go. And uh, I've never swam in the ocean before. That was really the, my first experience of actually swimming in the ocean. And uh, about, oh, maybe 10 strokes into my swim. The guys on the boats are like, hey, by the way, uh, there are sharks out here. And it's generally about three to five a.m. is when they feed. That's when they're the most active. And so I went from that good solid swim pattern to a full-on doggy paddle. You know, sheer panic sets in. You know, I'm I'm a 12-year police veteran. I thi- I figured I got all this, but but really, what it comes down to it, is that you know I've seen what lies beneath, right? I've seen jaws. Okay, you know, <laughs> and growing up in the desert, you know, you, you can't you, you can't just let that go. Okay. And so he says shark and I'm like, oh crap, you know, full on doggy paddle. So I probably swallowed about three gallons of seawater and and uh finished the competition. You know, and I I am feeling great. it was in November when I went, and by December and January of the next year, twenty eighteen, um, I just had this like three month long flu. You know, I just couldn't get over, you know, being ill and I and my heart was racing out of control and all that stuff. And and uh, so I remember very uh Uh, uniquely I was was getting ready to go on a night shift and 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 law enforcement is really brutal because you would work in my department you work 16 days of days having four days on four days off four days on four days off right and then you turn around and then you'd work 16 nights of nights having four days on and four days off until that eight cycle would be done and every 16 days you go through that cycle um about ready to go to nights and uh I said look I'm just feeling like crap so I was like you know what I'm gonna drop you off the doctor's office. I'm gonna do my visiting teaching, and uh, we're gonna go through and you know, tell the doctor to give you like a, a C pack or a Z pack, whatever the uh, the common, you know, take care of your flu type yeah. idea. And so I go through and I'm like, sure, you know, no problem. So she goes off to do her visiting teaching. Um there's a traditional just snowstorm happening in, in Rigby, Idaho at the time. And I go in there and they hook me up to an EKG. And I was I was three, eight years old at the time. And Uh, The doctor's like, huh, BKG is broken. Let me get the other one in here. So he gets the other one in here and puts it on there and goes, oh, uh, let's get you to x-rays really quick. And without any explanation, you know, he just kind of moves me from room to room and we do all these procedures. Uh, And and then he goes, you know what? I need to send you to a specialist for a cardiac specialist. I'm like, I'm 30 years old. What do you mean a cardiac specialist? You know? And uh, it ends up, uh, the termination is that I ended up getting what's called a viral cardiomyopathy. Um, that means I was introduced to the common cold or flu that I've never had before, one of the strains. Just like COVID um, has multiple strains, you know, you have Omicron and, and, and whatever else that had come after that iteration, right? Uh, I ended up getting just the common cold or flu. And, and because it's a virus, you know, there's no antibodies for that. There's no way to kind of protect against that. So... Um, I get sent to a specialist that day uh, for cardiac, and and I remember sitting in the front room, waiting room of the doctor's office waiting for my wife to finish her visiting teaching, and I said, "Hey, I need to go to this uh, cardiac specialist uh, in Idaho Falls." I'm not sure why the doctor didn't really explained himself, and as I'm sitting there typing that out to my wife in a text, um, I see an older gentleman because I'm in my jurisdiction now as a police officer, and. He's instead of driving the normal pattern, he kind of weaves in and out of this parking lot. I'm in. He decides to flatten out this S curve and go over all this, you know, uh, yard decoration. that's now covered in like two feet of snow. And as he goes over this, he gets stuck high centered right on this rock, you know. And I, so I'm like, ah, oh, crap, you know, this old guy's not going to get his pickup truck out. So I'm going to go out there and help him out. So I turn and I look, and the receptionists aren't watching me. So I jump up and run out and call my call my patrolman on. I said, hey, get over here. You know, I got a guy that's stuck. We just help him out really quick. And so I'm out there. We're pushing on this truck. And I see this doctor out of the corner of my eye running from my right side. And he says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting this guy out of the snow. What do you mean what I'm doing? He's like, no, no, no. You need to come back inside or I'm going to call you an ambulance. I'm like, what do you mean I'm calling an ambulance? Well, what he did not explain to me then that I learned now, um, I ended up having what's called an injection infraction. So there's a golden ratio for your heart okay and that golden ratio says that every time your heart beats it'll draw in 100% of the blood it needs to fill the four chambers of your heart and then eject 60% keeping 40% to prime your heart for the next cycle of beating okay well my injection fraction at the time was at 14% meaning that the blood flow from my left side to my right side has been compromised so much because my heart's really just kind of fluttering it's not really beating um, and so he's like, "Hey, you can pass that any moment here. I can't let you sit out here and push this truck." So he drags me inside, and my wife comes up like an hour late. And I got the the cardiac specialist call me up saying, "Hey, you know what's what's the deal?" And uh, I said, I'll, "I'll be there right there." My wife's coming to pick me up just now. Well, she ends up getting stuck because of all the two feet of snow. And if you can imagine, you know, a, a visiting teacher and and her companion. <laughs> you know, <are> out there <laughs> trying to dig out frantically, my wife not knowing what's going on because I have a community to to her. And so we show up to this cardiac appointment uh, late and find out that I uh, um, have a compromised heart um, because of this virus. And so um, I uh, uh, fortunately, I was really blessed. Uh, the departments I, w- I was working for, I built up uh, right around the vicinity of like five thousand six hours, six hours. So I built up five thousand six hours and I had vacation time on top of that. And so, um, so three months off, I was on oxygen for three months. I went through my first heart surgery where they put in a full-time defibrillator. Um, and then uh, after that defibrillator was put in. then I went through my second heart surgery um, to put in uh, mitral valves. um uh, my my mitral valve and my left between my left ventricle and my left atrium was compromised because the side the heart the the left side of the heart got over oversized, right? And when it grows too big, it becomes inefficient in pumping, and that's What's going to drive your ejection infraction ratio? So they go in and they put some mitral valves in, and uh they basically made it from uh 14%. Now I'm up to 42%, which is uh slightly better than the average because 40 is the golden ratio, right? And so um I ended up getting that taken care of. Uh, but I had to retire. So I retired from law enforcement at oh, the ripe old age of uh, 38 years old, and um Uh, I had 18 years left for my retirement to be, uh, I I already made my retirement vested, but I had 18 years left in my career as a police officer. So over the next five years after that, it's now 2023, and I got the greatest blessing in the world. My wife's a school teacher. She teaches uh, freshman English and uh, freshman speech. The two classes I don't think any freshman ever wants to take, you know, (laughs) both of those and uh, I got the, the, the best email, my wife says, hey, I got this email for a new job position opening up at the Career Technical Education Center um, that's affiliated with the, the, the school local school district here. And they're like, well, uh, why don't you apply? And so we applied and we figured out what we're doing and, and everything like that. So now I teach law enforcement at a high school level to juniors and seniors. And it's been a complete uh, blessing for me because you know, when you when you do something so passionately, you know, and, and you feel that that's that's my calling. That was that's what I was meant to be. I mean, you know, seeing all those Neds in Scotland, you know, and and getting in the couple of fights I did with the, with the local Scots, you know, uh, really said, okay, I can do something about controlling people's attitudes and all that stuff and help kind of change the world for the better. So it was nice to go through and now be able to teach on the level of uh, high school to get these young uh, students interested in law enforcement so
0: that's awesome that's awesome yeah awesome. <laughs> that's great so now you got me scared i'm 38 and thinking i'm okay <laughs> i'm not doing any crazy uh swimming in the ocean though man. right yeah yeah stay away from the ocean
2: uh, it turns out that uh, the ocean does have germs so
1: oh man you probably got more germs because of how much water you did swallow. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> oh, well, really. I always thought that salt water would not carry germs, but, you know, I was wrong. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a story.
0: Yeah, it that was. That's wow. great. And it's great to hear about your family and how things are working out for you there. That's yeah, that's perfect. wonderful.
2: You know, so, my oldest son, uh, he's 16 now, and he takes my class for law enforcement. So he's he's getting excited for a career in law, yeah. law enforcement. So. That's cool.
0: All right. Well, now we can go back. You can start, you know, with the MTC. You told us about getting there, of course. But uh, you can start there. You can start in the mission however you want. Just walk us through areas, companions, whatever you want to talk about. Time's yours.
2: Perfect. Well, uh, after we arrived in the MTC in Preston, England, uh, it was like walking on cloud nine the whole time. For me, as a history nerd, you know, it was like, oh, this is the best experience. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember being bused to the MTC about 1130 at night. Um, and the temple is just beautiful. And I'm thinking, okay, well, where's the MTC? Because I mean, you everybody else that's had the experience of going to the Preston, and, or not the Preston, but the Approval MTC. And they talk about, oh, yeah, the tree of life and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, well, it is what it is. And everybody's going to have to do it, you know? And and uh, we roll up, and I, I'm thinking, well, where's this building at? Because you see pictures of the Provo MTC. It's massive, right? It's huge. Yeah. And and you roll up, and it's just this very nice, you know, maybe three-story. I can't remember if three-story or four-story, just down from the temple. I mean, the short little walk uh, in a nice gated area. And it, it just – I remember uh, rolling up thinking, okay, I can do this. This isn't going to be easy. You know, this is is going to be like totally worth it, you know. And uh, we go in there and there's just 19 of us. You know, 30 of us start in Atlanta. And then as we land in Manchester and do other things, you know, they kind of go off to different areas, different missions. But 19 of us get to go to college, or to the the MTC experience. Um, And as we we roll in there, um, you know, you you had – 14 hours to get to know everybody on the plane. We all sat next to each other, you know, and uh, just uh, a wonderful experience. I think uh, some of my best memories, um, everybody talks about, oh, well, the food is nice, right? Um, I just love the fact that I was in Britain and in, you know, in the in this opportunity to, to live here and you experience everything they had to offer me, you know. Um, I love the accents. I thought, Oh, great. Scotland is going to sound just like this. When I get out of the MTC and you get to practice with all these nice, polite English people, you know, and they do everything that they possibly can to help you out. Right. And I remember getting on the bus to leave 19 days later, you know, you you go through all these experiences, you know, there, you're, you're, you're jet lagged. You're trying to get used to the time you're eating, you know, very bland food. You know, I, I missed all my spices. Southwest, and then, you know, in, in the West Coast or the West west side of the United States. So I'm missing all of that, you know. Uh, but other than that, great experience. I remember getting on the bus, and we're on this big, massive tour bus to take us to the train station in uh, Preston there. And we get on the train, we lug all of our stuff in there, and it would look like we just literally uh, uh, came out of, like, um, you know, this this big, massive bus. We're all dressed in dark suits you know, overcoach, it's, you know, bucketing down rain, and we look like we're a, a bunch of mafia members rolling out, right? And we get on this train, and everybody kind of instantly gives us all this room as we're throwing, like, luggage after luggage after luggage, you know, of the uh, select individuals that get to go to Scotland with us, loading up this train. And we all sit down together, we're chatting and talking. We're excited to be on the train. And we're literally, like, a few stops down the road from uh, Liverpool and the train comes to an abrupt halt and a conductor walks down the train, screaming at everybody, get off, the, get off the train, get off the train. We're on strike. Oh, what? Okay, we're, we're nowhere close to Scotland, you know, oh and I goodness. know at that time, you know, I, I've looked at the map, right? We're, we're, <laughs> we're not close to Scotland at all. And so we're in Le- Liverpool and we get off and there happens to be one member there. And he goes, missionaries, where, where are you going? I'm like, well, we're heading to Edinburgh. Um, we're supposed to be on this train, but it went on strike. I right, don't don't worry about it. We'll get it figured out for you. I said, "Are you are you from the mission? Or, or, or I mean, what, what do you hear?" He's like, "No, no, no. I'm actually going to going to work, um, but since you're stranded here, uh, we'll get something outlined for you." So he calls up. He happens to know, you know, some some people to contact. I'm sure the local uh, state president, or whatever the case may be, and uh, he calls up press the president MTC. They didn't know the train went on strike. Um, and they were going to send some vans for us and drive us up to Scotland and uh, It kind of worked out about an hour later as we're waiting around this train station and where everybody's on strike the, the, the Ward, the, the member church uh, member comes up and he says, okay, you got it all figured out You guys are gonna go and uh, jump on the double-decker bus and they're gonna drive you as far as they can towards Scotland and then you get another bus and they drive on that bus as far as they can to Scotland and then you go to another bus and you'll be in Edinburgh by like 1130 at night. Oh, my God. So, like, oh, OK. All right. <laughs> we'll go. You know. And so we load everything up uh, and, and you guys have been on the double decker buses before. There's not a lot of room for luggage at all. You know. Nope. And so <laughs> there's all of us getting on. Um, I believe there's about nine of us that went and we just load up all this luggage. And this bus driver's like, what in the world are these guys doing? You know. And this being our first experience on double beck- double-decker uh, bus, where do you sit? On the no top. Top. You yeah. get go on the top because you want to know what's going on, right? So you lug all of your suitcases all the way up to the top, <laughs> throw them all in the back. We take up the whole top, and there's only nine of us, right? And uh, we start heading off to Edinburgh. And the hours tick by, and the buses change, and the hours tick by, and the buses change. And finally, we arrive, and we're just completely tired. You know, 1130 at night, and I remember getting to the uh, – the mission and they drop us off at the bus station. Uh, I don't remember which one they dropped us off at, because you're just so disoriented by the time you're there. You don't know what bus station you're at. All you know is okay, somebody's supposed to pick us up. And remember the zone leaders pick us up in the van and they load us all up and put all of our gear in the back and they stack it in there like Tetris Masters, and they get everything just perfect. And we go, they're like, Okay, hey, we're taking you to Arthur's seat. What's that? You know, where are we gonna go? Eleven thirty at night. We're taking the whirlwind tour through Edinburgh, My right? God. There's the castle, there's the disgrace, there's, you know, as they fly through Edinburgh and get out of Edinburgh just a little bit, go to this dark foreboding, you know, windscaped hill they call uh, a mountain, and, and you get to go up to Arthur's seat. So we went up there almost close to about midnight, you know, um, get up to Arthur's seat and you dedicate your mission there. And it was like, oh, you know, you can see the whole you know, uh, skyline of, of Edinburgh just laid out before you, you know, in every direction. And the lights were just beautiful. It was, it was the first, probably the first cloudless night in, in Scotland I've ever seen. And it was just stunning, right? And just off in the distance, you can see the ocean and you can you can see the Firth of Forth way out there in the distance. And it's just beautiful, clear as can be. And you dedicate your mission there. And that's, that's, the first opportunity I ever had to really just feel like, okay, I belong here. I'm dedicating myself to be ready to do this mission. So we uh, have a wonderful spiritual moment uh, there on Arthur's seat and then they bring us back down. They're like, uh, well, it's too late to have dinner with you, but um, President Sister Wilkinson want to send you to this bed and breakfast because they don't have enough rooms for all of you um, elders to uh, To be there, so they 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 leave the sisters in the in the van, and they run in and they uh, check us into this B and B, and this guy was slightly frustrated because uh, you know it's now after midnight. He has to get up to welcome all these guests, and they're a bunch of Americans, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> we all want to shower. We all want to get ready to go to the bed, knowing that we got to get up it's, uh, as soon as we possibly can, you know, and then and then really start our missions. So. Um, uh, going to Fifty One Spilell Road uh, was just amazing. It was it was like eight o'clock in the morning, um, and the jet lag was just seriously horrible. And everybody's trying to get up, and they're all trying to shower. There's only I think there's only two uh, two showers in the B and B, if I remember right. Um, and you just take your turn really quick, get in there, come back out, you know, and 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 get everything ready to go, and then we head off to Fifty One Spilell Road, and it was just the best experience to see the narrow streets to drive on the wrong side of the road to to meet our, uh president wilkinson and sister wilkinson and how they greet the house and instead of having dinner we have this amazing lunch and we outline everything on this you know this menu and lunch and have a fantastic lunch and we go almost to the, the early part of the evening as we go through some orientation we go through some procedures we go through What we need to do for the mission and we end up um really just soaking it all in because we're we're already in the group right we've been to the the mtc for 19 days we can sit down and listen to lecture lecture, you know so we lean back and get all that stuff ready to go and um they say hey you know you guys you guys gonna stay for dinner um an early dinner because we're gonna pack it up for you but we want to sit down and talk to you before you go and we'll send it off with your with your um your brand new mission event right you can meet your your trainer and, uh, so they said, we're going to send you out chapping really quick. And so they, I'm like, well, what's chapping, you know? And, and they, they <laughs> send you out and it's just a bunch of missionaries eager to see the newbies, right? All the greenies lining up and they take you out and they go. And uh, I remember, uh, the guy, the, the elder that I was with, um, he's like, Hey, you want to go meet JK Rowling? Who's that? He's like, Oh, if you, you'll know what, once you see her, you'll know I said, okay, perfect, let's go. So we jump on a bus and we take off. We only had about an hour and a half or so. And he takes me straight to J.K. Rowling's home. He ends up chapping into her. He and his companion chapped into her and said, hey, this is, she came to the door, talked to, you know, talked to them. He wanted to bring another missionary back, you know, to do that follow-up, you know, to make sure that they really did not want to reject our message or maybe they're ready now, you know. And so he takes me to uh, J.K. Rowling's home. Um, and we ring the, the buzzer on the front gate. Um, it was a beautiful, um, beautiful sandstone structure. It had a nice little privacy gate as they do in Scotland before you can actually get the front door. This one happened, happened to have an electronic uh, um, buzzer on the front gate. And she says, uh, who is it? You know, we have you know, a little conversation over the buzzer. We want to draw her out. So I said, well, can you come and talk to us? And she says, sure, no problem. So she walks out, uh, you know, late uh, early evening, the second day I'm in Scotland and uh, she goes walking out, talks to us for like five minutes, 10 minutes, very polite, very, very polite. She's like, no, as I, as I explained to the, the other missionaries beforehand, I'm not really interested. I have a book of Mormon. They gave me one. Um, but it's nice to meet you all. That stuff." And so I'm thinking, okay, well, that's great. I don't know who she is, but uh, you know, <laughs> we're going to go on. So that, that missionary is like, yes, you know, JK wrong's is twice my mission. Right. So uh, as we're heading back to Michael, like, well, who who was that? He goes, Harry Potter? You haven't heard of Harry Potter? I'm like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not quite sure I have because Harry Potter just came out uh, as I was leaving, you know. And I don't know who Harry Potter, you know, Harry Potter, what is this? You know, and he explains briefly what Harry Potter is. And so I've wasted now my 15 minutes of fame, meeting the one famous person face-to-face at their house as a missionary. So... <laughs> So oh. shortly after we go to, uh, all of that, we, you know, we get assigned and my very first companion is Del Levesque. and, uh, what an outstanding individual he was. Um, we had so much in common. He was from Arizona, from Mesa. I was from Phoenix, you know, uh, originally uh, born and, and and then we moved later, there later uh, from Phoenix to Yukon. But, um, outstanding opportunity to to meet Dellavec and to be brought back to um, Irvine. So we got to stay in my first uh, area of my mission was in Irvine on the uh, west coast of Scotland um, and what an experience. You know you, you you take the the train from Edinburgh to Glasgow, catch the exchange, you go from Glasgow to Irvine, you know, and as you're just going through the Scottish countryside, I got to go the whole breadth of the width of the mission, you know, in One Fell swoop. Uh, without missing a beat and then ending up in Irvine, And uh, we hurry get to our flat and it's P-Day. You know, transfers are always on p days, right? So we get everything ready to go. And um, he goes, hey, we'll change down into your P-Day clothes, grab your tag. Uh, we're going to go out and we have um, an opportunity to go teach. But we have to be really low key. These are, these are a, a bunch of American um, college students that are going to the local university over here and we just ran into them and we became some good friends. So just dress really casual. They don't want to be scared away by all of this, you know, missionary stuff. Okay. All right. No problem. I'm, I'm getting nervous. You know, uh, I've never taught before, you know, other than practicing the MTC. And so we go over there. Well, lo and behold, it ends up being that we're heading over to um, Brock Hansen and Dustin Clough's um, flat uh, in Saltcoats, And we get over there and uh there are two missionaries that are out there already and there are zone leaders so here's uh uh hanson elder, elder cluff and they thought it would be absolutely hilarious to to see if they couldn't prank me into teaching a first discussion uh underneath this guys as american college students right so we get over there all all the way through and i was kind of sucked into it at first um i get halfway through the first discussion you know, awkwardly reading through the discussion pamphlets. I know, um, I don't know, Zach and, and Jack, I don't know if you guys uh, had the discussions or did you guys have the Teach My Gospel? Yeah, I, I, started,
0: I started with the the six and then switched to Preach My Gospel. but a little
2: bit of the pure, you know, pure uh, gospel teaching doctrine right there. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> we, I uh, think so halfway through the first discussion and they're like, we can't take it anymore. We can't take it anymore. We're, we're your zone leaders, you know. And they they made me a complete uh, Scottish dinner with haggis and neeps and toddies and oat cakes, and that's what yes. I had second night in Scotland. You know, so I get hit with culture right off, and a little bit of comedy and and lifelong friendships. You know, absolutely that's just awesome. off. find out that uh, you know Dustin's from Arizona, and you get a chance to really just enjoy you know talking about home. And they have been out a little bit longer uh, than I had, and it was just fantastic opening to my mission um after a a few short months with uh delavec i get uh my first transfer happens and brady tucker um comes in and brady is from firth idaho so i i go and i meet him and it's like dude where's all the where's all the missionaries from utah i mean i know they're like out there right he's like oh yeah there's thousands of them but, you know, you got to realize those Idaho guys are special. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And he goes, where are you from? And we talk about it, and that's Idaho guys and all this stuff. And we had a complete just fantastic time in, in urban. um My second transfer, you know, I, I get you know uh, Brady, and he is just outstanding. He's a great guy um, and just really just does everything to kind of show me how a missionary uh, behaves after you get trained, you know. What do we do? How do we plan days out? And of course, I learned that all with Dale, but uh, Brady showed me more what a missionary could do and, and uh, talk about a missionary of, of faith. Brady was really, really just dedicated every single time. Pray before we go out. You know, pray was when we come in, you know, pray when we get a break. He was just outstanding example for me to really get honed in as a missionary. Um, and thinking I'm going to be transferred, I'm getting all excited, you know, it's, it's a transfer Eve kind of feeling, you get a little butterfly You know, waiting for a call. And I find out I don't transfer. Um, I, but I get a new companion and I get, uh, Tyler Cox. Uh, he comes in and Tyler is from Thermopolis, Wyoming, like the farthest away you could get and, and not be, uh, you know, not be in another country. It was, it feels like, you know, looking at, from <laughs> my, and, and, uh, so he and I at first kind of butt heads because he had a set of routine. He's been in the mission field for a while. You know, he's, he's really ready just to kind of, Hey, I got to eat breakfast first every morning. And this guy could pack away pancakes. Like it was going out of style. Like he'd sit down like, Hey, I don't eat lunch. So you better eat a big breakfast. So he had eat this pancakes. And then we leave on time out the door, 9am to go, you know, start chapping. Um, and I, I spent, uh, You know, one transfer with uh, um, Tyler Cox and I I get transferred to uh, a very, very far away location from Irvine. I get two stops down the train tracks and I get to go to Paisley. So as I go to Paisley, (laughs) I go from this beautiful seaside, you know, uh, quintessential Scottish uh, town to uh, going to my first kind of idea of what Glasgow and the outskirts of Glasgow is really like and And almost like a switch has been flipped. it went from a Scottish brogue to glaswegian and so, if you haven't had the experience, it was like what, what? what are you saying I've been in the country for a couple of months now i'm I'm pretty fluent in in broad scotch, you know what say it again you know. <laughs> It made me feel like I was, I was a brand new missionary all over again, just coming to Scotland to hear the language for the first time, right? Yeah. And I get assigned with the most outstanding uh, Englishman that I've ever had, which is Chris Powley. And he goes, well, what are you into? You know, I said, well, I played a lot of soccer. He goes, great, because that's all we do on Saturdays to go proselyte. We play soccer for the first four hours of the morning. We have a local football club. And we're going to go play soccer. We're going to get these tough guys come and, you know, do our lessons with us. Okay. All right. Well, I happen to be uh, there for all of like, you know, a week. And it's our first Saturday. And I don't have any cleats yet. I've never bought a pair of cleats. I just had a bunch of tinnies on, right? So I was just running around in my tinnies. And I get cleated across my left toe. And it breaks my toe. And it uh, totally just black and blues the toenail, right? Oh, no. Goodness. Crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember or not, the amount of walking we did in Scotland out of fear that the Neds would, you know, would, would disassemble your bike. And if they couldn't disassemble, they'd just light it on fire, right? So yep. you can not leave any bikes out there. So really you really just had to go out and, and walk mile after mile after mile. If you ever had a broken toe, especially your big toe, you don't realize how much you use it, you know, until you start walking all of that pavement in Scotland. So Chris Pauly was uh, a, a great, great uh, uh, English missionary because knowing, just like I had my same te- trepidations about being sent to Utah, he had the same ones being sent to Scotland, right? He's like, I, I've been here. I, I literally live in New York, you know, right outside of York in a little town called Redcar, And it it's like, I went to Scotland, you know, all the time. So he had a, a bit of a sour attitude about Scotland, but he loved the work and he loved to do what he was doing. Um, and then I I stayed there. We had a wonderful flat on Walker Street, right there in Paisley. Uh, it was part of the uh, you know Victorian era tenement housing that had been you know thankfully been remodeled because the old outhouse was still in the back uh, back garden, you know, and, and we were up on the second second floor um, flat. And uh, Chris and I got on like a house on fire. We had a good time. You know, it was the power of Chris United, and it was fantastic, right? Um, and then that next transfer comes along, and I lose Chris, and I pick up my second English companion, uh, Joseph Oliver. And, we're, and he and I uh, come from so different worlds, you know, uh, if you could speak culturally, right? You know, he was very much the, uh, the elder that would love to set his alarm, at, at uh, you know 5.30 in the morning, 15 minutes later, have like a, that snooze button go off again. And then he had a second alarm because the, one, the first one was digital uh, um, would, would, would go off at 5.30. And then you have a second alarm that would be set, but it was the old analog clock with the bells. And I remember that he would love to set that five minutes before six so he can get up and be ready for the day. And I'm one of those on time, very prompt individuals. That means I've to be up by six, I'm gonna get up at six, you know? But if need would be on bed at this time, I'd go in bed at that time. So I was very on time um, to take, keep, you know, those mission rules, you know, and try to fulfill as, as much of that as I possibly could. And and uh, I remember he would love to hit that snooze button and hit that snooze button, and then the analog thing would go off. Well, like a month and a half of this going on, you know, it's just 5.30, 5.45, and then the analog at six it was just driving me bonkers. And so I'm like, that, that's that's it. I said, you know, that's all for I I love you, you know. And, and I remember you're you're your defining um, your companionship talks you used to have with your companion. And You sit down, and, and then later on, of course, we know that as uh, you know, define the relationship with your wife, right? <laughs> and how that works and how it's going yep. function from here. But it, they're getting you prepped. You know, they're getting you prepped for that. Uh, you know, define your companionship. And so we're sitting down. We're talking about. It. I said, I can't think anymore. I said, please, please, I, I love you, but please get rid of that analog clock. Said, oh, no, my grand gave it to me. I can't get rid of it. I said, I don't care who gave it to you. So a month and a half of all these delays, and then all of a sudden at six, I get the analog root awake. I said, absolutely not. You know, let's let's, let's work on this. So we worked on it for a little while, and it just wasn't getting to get better. And so I told him one night, as we we say our prayers, and we're right ready to jump into bed, our separate beds, and I say, look, Oliver. Please get up at 6. I don't want to have to do anything drastic, but please get up at 6. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. I'll get up at 6. Sets his alarm, sleeps through all of them or snoozes through all of them, and gets to the analog clock. And being on the second floor, I I don't know what came over me, but I grabbed that stinking analog clock. I opened up our shuttered window, and I threw it out in the, out in the clear open, and it's still ringing. <laughs> his throat and explodes into like a thousand pieces and it was like angels were singing you know it was, it was so tranquil uh just a, ah, it was wonderful and and he rudely gets up and he's like he's just been startledly awoken you know by this window being thrown open and this clock flying through the air and as it hits the ground two stories below us and he's like Come on, what did you just do to my clock? I'm like, I'm going to buy you another one, but we're not going to redo this whole scenario. I need to get your attention. I want to sleep until six. The mission says six. That's it. He's like, Oh, and he, I remember him being so mad at me that he called up the mission president. He said, President Wilkinson, he just threw my clock out the window, and my grand gave that to me, and he's going off about his clock. It, it wasn't anything special. I think, I don't remember the, uh, um, do you guys remember the catalog store? You could walk in. And you can look through the catalog and you could yeah. catalog that and you walk up to the desk. That's what it was. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't engraved, you know, from Grand to you know uh Joseph Oliver. It was just one And I just threw that thing as I could, I was probably the one of the happiest moments on my mission to the next month and a half, you know, really to sleep and avoid that, you know, half an hour before six. Um and then uh out of uh, uh, he and I, like, you know, I said, we kind of had a rough start. And I remember chapping one day and it was just pouring down rain, just absolutely pouring. And we go up to this high flat as we did. We saved all of the high flats when I was on my mission, uh, for those rainy days. And that happened quite frequently in Scotland, as you remember. And here we are walking up to this high flat and we're, we're, we're going up the uh, the high flat and we're buzzing these buttons and I, I dutifully had written down every you know every apartment number um you know if it's on the right side or left side and all we need to do is i need to have elder oliver fill that out as we're going through this he wasn't really engaged because he's just thinking oh this is miserable why are we out here in all this rain you know why can't we just you know chap around our our flat and see if we can't find any of our contacts or anything like that and of course you know the the, the mission uh the mission golden rule really was the more you chap in the rain the more beautiful your wife was you guys remember hearing that oh Absolutely. yeah so i was dedicated remember i was dedicated to get up at six and go to bed when i needed to go to bed and i was dedicated to be out so i adamantly believed that my wife would be more beautiful when i got home the, for the hours i chapped in the rain and so i'm like okay that's great let's do it you know and so he's wasn't really motivated that day and we're ringing these these uh these buzzers and everybody's just telling us no, 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 and we just want to get out of the rain and off the stoop and into the the high flats to go and and, and teach somebody the gospel. And uh, I remember as I'm going through these buttons and rejection after rejection after rejection, we get one guy. Who is this? Oh, hey, we're elders from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're not sure we want to share with you message about Jesus Christ. And he's like, absolutely not. You guys are a bunch of Mormons. Don't ever come to this building. And you don't, you're not allowed. And blah blah blah. And he really just abrasively just yells at us over the over the buzzer, right? I said, "Well, hey, you know, no problem. You know, we appreciate you letting us know that we're not welcome here. Thank you, though." So I continue going down the the buttons, right, or up the buttons, I should say. And I said, "Oh, but did you write that down?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it." Well, the the flat next to him, it was a, it was a young Scottish gal, um, and she says, "Absolutely, I've been waiting to hear from you guys." I've been praying to hear somebody tell us the message. Oh my God. Perfect. She lets us in. She buzzes us in and we walk up and said, Oh, Oliver, uh, wasn't that guy that just told us? No. Uh, wasn't he on the same, same floor? And he goes, uh, yeah. And I said, okay, what, what, what flat was that? Ooh, I think it was on the right side. I said, Oh, okay. All right. So I, I walk over there and I knock on the left door, and I'm in front. Elder Oliver's kind of behind me a little bit, and it was the guy. He opens the door, what in the crap? You know, and he's just going off and and using all these explanatives and and telling us to go, you know, on your bike, you know, and all this (laughs) stuff. And I'm like, hey, 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 honest mistake. We got let into the building, you know, I'm here to talk to somebody else. Um, But hey, have a great day. He's like, no, 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 I'm chasing you out. And he reaches behind the door and he grabs a cricket bat. The moment that cr- cricket bat comes out, he goes to start swinging. Why? Well, you know, I'd taken some martial arts uh, growing up. I took about 11 years of a, in a very eclectic uh, Japanese martial arts called Funakushi. and so I'm, I'm fending him off, you know, not really attacking, but fending him off as he's swinging at me with this cricket bat. And so finally, he kind of does an overhead strike. I come up with a double block, and I grab his cricket bat and rip it out of his arms. because I'm 6'3". You know, this guy's, like, maybe 5'2 on a good day, you know? So... So I tear it out of his grip. I said, hey, I calm down, leave me alone. We're, we're gonna go ahead and, and leave. He's like, good, 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 leave. So I take his cricket bat with me and I turn around and El Oliver is gone. Like completely <laughs> gone. I'm like, all right. Well, I take the cricket bat down the two or three flights of stairs, go outside, and I look at either side of the, the high flat. He's not there either. Like, Where's the trap is he? And I step out into the road and he's down the road, like a good, you know, two or three buildings. And he goes, Are you are you all right? Fine, you want a cricket bat? You know, Where'd you go? <laughs> and, you know, and, and shortly after that experience, we, uh, we get transferred. Well, I get transferred. And I go <laughs> as far away from Glasgow as I possibly can, and I go all the way up north to Peter Heath. And uh, when I arrive at Peter Heath, um, I have my third. Um, English companion, uh, I think the, the greatest English companion I could ever have uh, was Matthew Durnley. And uh, Matthew Durnley and I, he meets me, uh, in, meets me in Aberdeen. Um, and we stay the night in Aberdeen because the train ride, if you remember how it works, you have to go from Paisley to Glasgow, from Glasgow to Edinburgh, and then go across town and catch the northbound train on the east coast of Scotland to go north and so we went across the Firth of 4th, get all the way up to Aberdeen. That's where the train stops. It doesn't go past Aberdeen. You know, you have to catch a bus then at that point to go all the way up to Peterheed and, 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 and to make that happen. So instead of making that second leg of the journey, uh, Ella Durnley takes me to the Zone Leader's flat. Um, and we get a chance to, to be buddies there, the Zone Leaders flat. And thank goodness it was, you know, the evening of P-Day. Uh, we got to joke around. We ordered some, uh, some kebab pizzas, and and really just have a good time in Aberdeen. And uh, so we travel the next morning, go up to, uh, to Peter Heath, and I arrive, and if, uh, either of you two, brethren, have ever been to Peter Heath?
1: Uh, That's where we served together. He, tra- he trained me in Peter Heath. Okay.
2: So did you guys live off of Victoria Road?
1: No, I think we were oh. on
2: King Street. King Street? Okay, so we yeah. live on Victoria Road. Okay. okay. And the Victoria Road, uh, it's a it's a, it's a. Uh, I wouldn't say it, it's a, it's a. Uh, what are they called? I wouldn't say it's a tenement housing. It was literally just two single homes. One home was on top, and one home was on bottom. But it was a single building instead of being like a whole row of tenement buildings. And we're right across from the bowling green there in in Heed. And Elder Durnley opens the door, and you literally walk down a hallway about as wide as my shoulders are, and you walk down. Right off to the right is, is, your, is your, your bedroom that used to be the living room. And then you go a little bit further down and then there's the dining room and where we do all of our companionship study. And then there's the kitchen in the back. And that's it. You know, like and the small bathroom that had a, a, a sitting bathtub. If you hadn't had one of those experiences in sitting bathtub, very unique. Very unique because you, you sit down below the ground. And so you step into it, and take a shower and stand on the stool. But well, when you're, if you want to take a bath, you sit down and the the, the edge of the, the tub would come here and you sit below the ground level and you sit down and it was a complete tip like <laughs> i don't know what elder durnley and his companion were doing or lack of doing in there but it was like filth from like wall to wall floor to ceiling and i'm like i can't do this you know 23 years old um i can't i can't live in a filthy place i said you know uh this is going to be the first time I ever break mission rules. But uh, tomorrow morning, we're cleaning this tip up from top to bottom. You know, and I said, look, oh, they're only, you know, the spirit of the Lord can't dwell in a, in a dirty place. So let's make this some consecrated ground for our companionship here and just really kind of get stuck in. So we went uh, to the, the, uh, the local, um, wasn't even ASDA, I think it was like a little like, um, you know, pound shop on the corner and we bought all their cleaning supplies in one go, you know. All <laughs> the cleaners, scrub brushes, you know, everything we needed, right? And then brand new vacuum bags for their uh, their vacuum. And we just commenced cleaning this place. And by the time we're done, it's late into the evening, almost time for us to be in bed by our mission standards and rules. And, okay, that's it. Tomorrow morning, we're now dedicated. Let's go and get ready to go. And we had an area that uh, we went um, south of, of Peterhead, um about halfway to Aberdeen, and then we went all the way over, uh, all the way up north to uh, um, Falkirk, and then from, uh, or rather, uh, Fraserburgh, and then from Fraserburgh, we went all the way over to, you know, somewhere closer to um, Banff and all those places in there, right? So we had this big, big area, and we have a car. This is the first time I mentioned I ever had a car. I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be fantastic. So we go through, and I quickly realized, one, Elder Durnley, drives like a madman okay and we we blow through all of our miles in like four days all of our miles for a month right four, four days, days. Now, now we're stuck in peterheed and we have to walk around you know i'm like there's not much Peter peterheed to walk around you know we only do so much and so for four days we blow through all because he wanted to show me the area that we could you know we could work in right okay all right so we had a fantastic experience in peter Uh I remember very distinctly one zone meeting conference. we decided to go through uh, and plan out a p day activity for the zone and um, i believe um, i want to say i can't remember who the zone leader was, but I want to say uh, Tucker was his last name or or something along those lines and and he was the zone leader there and so he asked President wilkinson, hey, we want to go to um uh, slain's castle slain's castle if you remember a uh, wonderful place uh, completely just beautiful on a cliff's edge and uh we want to go to slain's castle and so he says sure you know as long as you elders and sisters behave you know and and, and make sure you know you're respectful and wear your name tags and he gave us all the mission rules I said perfect we'll go we'll go so i remember we allotted some time in our in our mileage to be able to drive down Slanes from peter heath and of course everybody else Met us at the bus station, so we load like I think eight of us into that uh, Vauxhall, of you know, not. <laughs> and you just pack everybody in, and you just sit in here like this, and and you drive that short distance from the you know the train or the bus station, and you go to Slains Castle, and we go outside. Remember that uh, at Slains, it's it's literally just a, a, a off the roadway, and there's a gravel uh, a, a parking lot there, and then there's a farmer's track it goes all the way out into his field towards Slain's castle. Well, it had rained and rained and rained that day. And our, our initial idea was to go out and play capture the flag in the ruins of Slain Castle, right? Well, because it's so miserable and that walk is a little ways, we said, you know what? Everybody get back in, you know, the Vauxhall and let's just head out. We're going to go down this farmer's track. Oh, no. I'm pretty, pretty sure did, I heard about this. I was like doing this, you know, trying to drive because there's three of us. And then he's trying to manage the, you know, the manual gear shift in the middle. And we have the <laughs> sister in the back where you know, the little boot was at, you know, and, and we're just, like, and then we come to this puddle. And this puddle is massive, just huge. I probably say it's like 20 feet by like 15 feet wide, right? Just a massive puddle. So I, I do the tried and true method, being from Idaho. I grab a couple rocks on the side of the road and go, bloop, bloop. You know, it doesn't sound that deep, guys. Let's just go through it. And we can't go off to the left or the right. You know, because <laughs> it's not it's not gravel. So I'm like, okay, let's let's go. And so as we go, <laughs> you know, the, the zone leader backs up and backs up, gets a good run at it. Wop, and he's just popping through those gears, and we're going through it. We hit that water about halfway through. We hear this bam. Oh, well, what was that? And the car just sputters to stop and then dies.
0: Oh my oh, god.
2: So we get out, and this water's like 18 inches deep. And <laughs> we look back, and there is a trail of black oil coming from the bottom of the car where we hit the oil pan on this massive stone <laughs> that was in the middle of this 20 foot long puddle, 18 inches deep, 10, 15 feet wide, and water's pouring into the, the Vauxhall corset. You know, we're like, ugh. Rape. The president's going to kill us. You know. So we, we practically, we just got cell phones, by the way. Um, we were one of the first uh, missionaries in Europe to get cell phones as a practice trial run. So we call up on our cell phone and we're looking for any local, you know, uh, local tow company to come get us out of here and then get us back to a, a garage to fix the vehicle before the president even knows. Right so that was our goal <laughs> well we get there we find out that uh, we did a lot more damage to the Vauxhall Corsa than we uh, could actually fork out in all of our of our combined income and uh, uh inevitably president wilson had to be called and uh it was a, a long lengthy conversation fortunately i wasn't zone leader so you know it i didn't have to worry about it too much other than i was there um and we get that car taken care of and we had a wonderful day um you know, before that doom kind of set in of fixing the walk of forcea, and, and uh, you know, I, I just absolutely love Peter Heat, and it was fantastic. Um, shortly after being there with Elder Durnley, he gets transferred, and I get um, assigned to a new missionary, um, Billy about If you haven't had the pleasure to meet Billy about he's my first Utah companion. Um, I was really kind of excited because I thought they were like you know really prevalent. And he ends up being the uh, the mythical unicorn. And I thought at that time, oh hey, my first Utah companion, perfect. You know, we can we can talk, we can share. Well, uh, Billy plays guitar like exceptionally well. And I remember that we would spend many a P day eve, uh, you know, right before bed, playing guitar and just enjoying, you know, hymns or any music that we remember how to play. You know, and it was just a great experience with him. And we worked and worked and worked really hard. Um, to go through and really meet um, a really special guy um, uh, um, Alan Keith is his name and Alan Keith uh, just heart of gold but uh, just wasn't just as uh, you know a very outgoing physically kind of guy so he was he was kind of festively plump and and I wish I could contact him again I haven't you know I have no idea how to get in hold of him but uh, he wanted to be baptized and I remember he had these like rabid like ferrets that he would go hunting rabbits with and hare with. And these ferrets were eating themselves and I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff, but he was just a great guy. You know, Just really big, he was about uh, 420 pounds or so big guy. Want to be baptized. We taught him all the lessons. We call it the zone leaders. He was ready to go. He talked to the zone leader, went through his only interview. Um, yeah, let's, let's baptize Alan. Awesome. So we go in there and I remember, uh, going to the church house, um, or rather, the lack of church house there in peterheed and i was go- i went to the bishop and said hey do we have like an x x x x l uh baptism uh, uh onesie he's like no no we don't have anything that big okay all right uh could we find somewhere that has that size or could we get something ordered and we want to make this special for alan you know who really worked with this for like two months going through the lessons had a lot of great questions you know had wonderful spiritual experiences with them. And um, we said, yeah, we can make that happen. So the Bishop at the time ran down to Aberdeen uh, to the local ASDA there and picked up the biggest white clothes he could possibly find. And we brought them up to Alan. and they fit. And we said, great, perfect. Well, the baptismal font that we ended up um, using, uh, we had to go to the stake center for in Aberdeen. And Alan, like literally I'm in there and he's in there and I'm against the wall. I'm like, you know, my 190 pounds, you know, trying to to make room for Alan to get in. And you know, we have wonderful experience of baptizing but because he's such a, a big guy, you know, I go to I go to baptize him and and they always have an elbow sticking out. You're like, no, you got full submersion. Okay, can we have some more water? You know, <laughs> can we help something out? You know, and Alan's laughing this time and we're kind of giggling about it, you know. And they finally finally get him dunked, and the smile on his face was so sweet. I mean, it was so nice to see that, you know, finally, that was, you know, my opportunity to, to make this contribution to my mission, uh, to bring one soul to Christ, right? And so uh, just a sweet experience, and it was, it was so nice. Um, shortly after that, I ended up moving about as far away as I possibly can and transfer. I go from Peter Heath to Dumfries. And I arrive in Dumfries and after that harrowing journey of coming all the way back down from the north and uh, changing multiple chain trains and getting to Edinburgh. And once I'm in Edinburgh, um, I get picked up by um, Ian Campbell, one of the most outstanding members uh, at the time in the church that I just had the opportunity to meet. Um, and he lived in Annan and we were living and when he was living in Annan, uh, he came up and he picked us up in his car. And, and, and got, got me all the way down with my brand new companion and my companion, uh, first companion right there, uh, ended up being, um, Kevin Nelson. Uh, I'm sure you guys know Kevin Nelson. He helped kind of organize the, uh, the SEM reunions and do all that stuff. And he was a president for a while. I don't know if he still is. I haven't got the letter, uh, for the last one just recently yet, but, um, Kevin's just excited to be there. He's excited to be with me. We're excited to be working together, you know, and, uh, he ended up being my second missionary companion from Utah. I think these guys are great. What, what was all the stigma about all these Utah missionaries? You know, and it should be just easy, right? <laughs> and so we go through and we, we could travel all the way down. And The first place we stop off is, um, brother Campbell, uh, was a, uh, a retired firefighter and he, uh, responded to the Lockerbie, um, disaster, um, that took place and, and, and where the, uh, the plane uh, full of Americans and everybody coming to Scotland, uh, rather taking off from Scotland, blew up. And and uh, he was one of the first responders to be there. And so he took us to the Lockerbie Memorial site, and we are going to see all the, the names of the Americans and everybody else who lost their lives. And it was really just kind of a, a humbling experience to think, boy, you know, here's a dedicated individual that just got padpacks a little while ago, and he knew how important this would have been to us uh, to see this site for all these Know fallen Americans until he brought us there. The very first place we went. Then of course we went back into uh, Dumfries. Um, I lived right off of Church Street. Did either one of you brethren serve in Dumfries? I did.
0: That was my did first you? area. So I, first- I, I, I probably wasn't in there very long after you. Ian was the ward mission leader when I was there.
2: So. Oh yeah, absolutely yes. Ian was there. So, um, did you live on Church Street when you were there?
0: Yeah, in that like basement apartment. Yeah. Right. Right, yep.
2: right, right across the way from the camera obscura. You know, and uh, we go into this deep dark dungeon because remember they only had window at the front window at the back and that was it, you know, and uh, I just absolutely loved Dumfries every minute of I met. uh, I got a chance to follow up um, Elder Granavichus. He just left and I replaced him uh, coming into Dumfries and the Copeland family there was fantastic. Jill Copeland and her husband Grant just loved them to death. Uh, Jill was a, a convert to the church, elder Davis a uh, baptizer. And I got to follow up and do all those follow up lessons with her. And I we just come to love the Copeland family and, and, uh, really just love the kids, you know, uh, love them as, 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 you know, you know, great members of the church and, and just really excited to be there. And, um, I think I had the most fun on my mission in Dumfries. Um, You know, you you get a chance to meet such down to earth people. Um, Nita Crichton was there. Sister Crichton was just wonderful. She was like the grandma you always wanted from Scotland. You know, she always made sure you were well fed and taken care of and all the biscuits and all the snacks and the treats and all that stuff. And then, you know, good proper meals on Sunday after church, you know, and just really took care of you, really just had the opportunity to make you very welcome. To the ward, and Nita Crichton, uh, still good friends with her on Facebook, and and you know just loved every minute of it. Um, and then after uh, um, Kevin Nelson, then I had Ben Fowler. Uh, ben Fowler was my next companion, um, and he was there with me for Dumfries uh, for the last part of my my transfers and time there in Dumfries, and we just hit it off. Fantastic individual, another great Utah missionary, and. We just did everything together and just loved everything. You know, the chippy shop down the road from the flat was one of our most favorites. Walking across uh, Lady of Bridge and going to the White Sands area and hitting that chippy shop right there was like the quintessential chippy shop of all Scotland. You know, it was just wonderful. And so um, after my time with uh, Ella Fowler, I went to the concrete jungle of Cumbernauld. Uh, Cumbernauld. Was the exact opposite you could ever think of what Scotland could be, you know? It's not green; it's 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 the lack of vegetation and it's all concrete. And if you remember, that's, uh, you that's
0: the exact move I made. I went from Dumfries <laughs> to Cumbernauld. <Yeah. laughs>
2: so, so you go from Eden on Earth in Scotland, Dumfries to Cumbernauld. you know what I mean? Where 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 the town is literally an old Roman fort that uh, was rebuilt and designed everything around the motor car and the pedestrian, never crossing paths once. So if you had to get yeah. square, it was all within 15 minute walking distance. And of course you wanted always to hit the local Marks and Sparks or the ASDA that was right there. And that was about it. <laughs> and so everything you could do, you know, was right around town center. And that's where I met uh, some of the, the most wonderful individuals um, There outside of Cumbernauld, which was the Armour family, Bob and, um, uh, let's see, I want to say it's Bob and Marion um, Armour. Have you ever had a chance to meet them when you were there, by chance? I think so. Sounds familiar to me. Yeah, he's a big, big guy. He's like tall, way, way tall. He's like probably 6'3", 6'4", just a big guy. And he's a former police officer. He worked for the Strathclyde yep. Police okay. Department. They have nine
0: kids or something like that 14. 14, yeah, a ton. A ton <laughs> Especially of kids. for Scotland.
2: And that was like unheard of, right? We're like, what, yeah. what's going on here? I mean, we always kind of joked around that the Catholics had the most kids, but when the Armors came along, boy, they just knocked that out of the park, right? Um, and just wonderful, warm, welcoming family. He was always interested in what we're doing, always excited at what we're happening and, and going on and um, and all the kids. I mean, I think at least once every other week, he would check up on us as missionaries and say, all right, elders, call up your mission president. We're going to Sterling Castle. We're going to take you there on your P-Day. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we're going, to, we're going to go and treat you guys to lunch. And we just really appreciate and love you, you know. So he do that once a week and really just spend time with his family Uh, We ended up baptizing his uh, daughter-in-law. His his Um, uh, his, uh, daughter-in-law was Natalie Black, and she got baptized. We got to convert her and to baptize her and really kind of bring that family as his son later on married Natalie. uh, And we got to experience that wonderful, again, that sweet moment of of baptisms in Scotland. Uh, We didn't get to experience that very often, you know. We, we were, we were one of the missions that was like, you know, one in 10 missionaries would get a baptism, you know? And so what a sweet moment I could have to, you know? And so we had a wonderful opportunity to bring Natalie to church and have a strong family to support her. And we just absolutely, I, I just absolutely loved Cumberdall uh, despite all the concrete, despite being, you know, an ugly area in Scotland amongst all the green. And shortly after that, um, Hey, before
1: you move on, Chris, who is your companion in, in Cumbernault?
2: Oh, my first companion in Cumbernault was um, Ryan Doan. Ryan okay. Doan. Uh, Ryan uh, ends up being a, another missionary from Utah. And I, I, I finished out strong with uh, um, Ryan. And then right after Ryan, I, we had one last transfer. And it was uh, Kyle Leet was my last companion in in uh, Cumbernault. And uh, boy, you know, that... Kyle could work he loved to walk but he was not fast he was not fast i've been walking long. i'm 6'3 i have a long gait and Kyle didn't have that blessing he would just walk as fast as he could on his you know shorter legs because this guy was he was built you know he was he, i think he played uh, either rugby or american football and he was just a big guy but he just had these unfortunate short legs and and, and uh, I would just always try to go everywhere as, as quick as I could because I was on a mission, right? You know, I, was, I had limited limited amount of time, and I'd go through and I'd make that all happen. And I just, you know, love that guy. He was really motivated. He kept me from getting trunky. He kept me from, you know, doing all these things that uh, I wanted to do to prepare for going home. And he goes, no, focus. Let's focus. Let's focus. And so Kyle would get me focused, and we'd go out and do the work. And it was just absolutely wonderful. Um, and then uh, at the end of my mission, I went home. And it was October 24th, uh, 2003, Then we went home. And then by December uh, 30th, I was married. So. <laughs> Goodness. That's, uh, that's
0: an awesome whirlwind you took us on. Fun <laughs> to hear. You know, we had a lot of overlap there. So it's yeah. pretty cool. Um, one thing we always ask people is, just memories you have of mission presidents and their their wives. So for you, know, you I, most of the time that would have been President Wilkinson and then President
2: Brains for the last little bit. Yep, that's correct. Uh, President Wilkinson, boy, what a spiritual giant. You know, when you first look at President Wilkinson, you're like, oh, he's not a very big statured individual, but spiritually he was just a giant. I remember just meeting him, and and he always wore the classic I'm living in Scotland now sweater, underneath his, his, uh, you know, suit coat. Um, I don't think, (laughs) I I think he was like half the guy uh, for the amount of sweater that he would wear, you know, going anywhere. And he was just so warm, so loving. And, um, uh, you know, I watched your guys' podcast uh, when you interviewed uh, President Wilkinson and Sister Wilkinson, and it just brought back just wonderful experiences being there on the mission and having him just kind of love you, you know, for who you are and what you did and what a great opportunity that was. Yeah. I have nothing but respect and admiration for that man and his beautiful wife, you know, and it was just outstanding, wonderful opportunity for me to, to serve a uh, majority of my mission with President Sister Wilkinson and then uh, President Greens being the exact opposite. Uh, just I remember him being so tall, and, and so just, you know, big hands. and You just grab a hold of it. You know, Elder Martin, you know, let's let's get some work done. You know, and he was just fired up because he's a brand new mission president, you know. And and uh, he was with me uh, on my mission for probably about uh, um, four months or so or, or maybe six months at the most. And he was just always, how's that work going? You know, and I remember he even came by to our apartment one time, like out of the blue, unannounced. And thank goodness it was P day right before we just cleaned the flat. You know, <laughs> he just comes up. I'm just checking on all my elders. You know, how are you guys doing? <laughs> Where's Sister Marines? Oh, she's in the car. She doesn't want to come up. I'm like, all right, good. <laughs> the toilet's not clean. Don't look. You know. <laughs> it was just a great experience to to really kind of have that uh, that that unique change and you know, somebody that wanted to be involved in the mission and 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 be right there. With you, and he wanted to almost climb in the trenches, to coming from somebody that had already been in the mission uh, with President Wilkinson, and had already, you know, established you know himself amongst the people of Scotland and amongst the strong church members there, and he was an individual that was known, you know, and President Marines wanted to make that known that he was ready to do the work with you, and and to really be involved, and so to serve with both of those mission presidents was a blessing for me, and and the skills that I learned. Um, from them, you know, and both of their tactics of of getting you uh, ready and 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 working with you, um, I, I applied them to my whole life, my life in 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 you know, law enforcement, my life as a teacher. Now, you know, to be you know kind, soft-spoken, but when I needed to, I could step up and say, "I'm President Greens, you know, and and really take control of that situation, right? So, great opportunities to learn from both those fine brethren. So,
0: that's great. Thank you. And uh, any other missionaries? I mean, you went through the list of companions, some people you served around, but any anybody else you want to shout out from the older older than me generation? that oh. we Need to get on here. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Dennis Granavichus, You know uh, what a what a fantastic guy coming uh, from from Europe, speaking not a lick of English, and then trying to make himself understood to us missionaries uh, as he spoke his native language, you know, with a little bit of English mixed in, um, you know, uh, uh, I would, I would love to, to call out, um, you know, um, Oh, uh, Reynolds, uh, as his last name, his first name is bear with me two seconds. Um, Adam Reynolds, Adam Reynolds was, uh, another fantastic Englishman that you get a chance to to hang around with and, and, to. Just to really, you know, pal around and enjoy your time in the mission together and uh, just a fun guy. Um, and then lastly, I would always want to just uh, uh, to to call out, um, you know, um, Chad Pierski. Chad Pierski and I became really good, really good friends. We started in the MTC together. We went all the way through, though I hadn't served uh, with Chad. Um, we always kept in touch. We always make that, you know. Hey, where are you transferred to? Okay, all right, I'll give you a call. Give me a number when you get a chance, you know? And we'd always go back and forth and call each other up and see how our wink went or, you know, what was going on. And we just kept in touch. Uh, and even to this day, i call him up, hey, dude, what's up, dude? And that was my catchphrase for everything, you know, dude, what's up, dude? You know? And so we'd go through and talk to each other that way all the time. And now, even now, where he lives in, you know, in, 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 in Boosville, Missouri, um, call him up all the time to say, hey, what's up, Chad? What are you doing, dude? You know. Um but this has been a great experience. Absolutely great experience.
0: So Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time coming on. This has been it's been awesome for us and just hearing, you know, through the years where people served and who they served around with and the the legends of Scotland, right? So absolutely. It's it's great. You're you're more important to us because
1: you're our brother in Peter Heath.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that strong connection, you know, even down to Dr. Yeah. East and all, you know, so. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I want to bring up to you, the very first time I'd ever seen icebergs was in Peterhead, coming off the, the, the North Sea. Uh, it was in the middle of January. And remember the lighthouse out there on the Lido? They yeah. would sit there and spin yep. and spin. Well, we were always showing that picture. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see the picture. Uh, I think it was back in the 60s or 70s. They had this huge wave come in, and it just completely covered the lighthouse. Well, one morning as we're uh, Elder Durnley and I were driving around, um, we get up on top of this this grade, right, this hill, and we look out, and it's just fog everywhere, just completely beautiful, and the fog has, has made little green islands everywhere, and as we're looking out, you know, beautifully clear day above all this fog down in the glens, and you look out across, and there's this iceberg just floating off in the distance. The most <laughs> wow. unreal thing to see, you know, in the middle of Scotland thinking that over miles away from anything that's really, really cold.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Goodness. That's
1: cool. I didn't I didn't see any of those, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> oh wow. Felt like I was living on an iceberg. No, never saw. No. Yeah.
2: The the smell of sheep, uh the sheep and fish, I don't think I could ever get that out of my my mental uh, uh, smell category up here. My library of smells. Um, do you guys remember the uh, the the when the ship would come in after three months of being out at sea and then come back to beater heat and they'd unload the cod? You remember what oh, yeah. the people that worked there at the fish factory, the smell of cod oil coming off the house, coming off their <laughs> clothes, coming off. You're just like, Ooh. So how's the fish factory? they like, how'd you know? Well, I don't want to be rude, but <laughs> that's pungent.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I do remember the smell. It was definitely a unique one. Every time you drove into town, it was like, <laughs> yeah, we're in Peter Heed.
2: You know, especially living right off there uh, on King Street. You know, where we're on Victoria Road, it was a little further out. We're next to a Bowling Green. It was on the edge of town heading to the west but Kings road was right in the middle of the, yeah, it was the main,
0: main thoroughfare there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. We were like,
1: I don't know, three buildings off that massive roundabout, but, uh,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that
1: was a busy street, Yes, it especially was. Was. on Friday night. Goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, we've really enjoyed having you. It's been awesome to get to know you through your mission experience and obviously we had some commonalities so it was really nice to have you and we just love you we're grateful that you're our brother in scotland so thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with us
2: absolutely thank you jack and zach this has been a great trip down memory lane i think i sat down with my wife and we pulled out the several you know temporary totes of uh, missionary memorabilia and i just had an opportunity to go through and, and just relive all that with my family and my boys and my my daughter and What a great blessing you guys brought back all those wonderful, sweet memories and those bitter cold ones, especially in Peter Heath. So thank you again.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All All right, guys. Love you. Have a good night. You as well. Good night. Thank you. Cheerio.